0: you're listening to foreseeable a production of global is asian the flagship thought leadership digital platform of singapore's lee kuan Yew school of public policy each episode we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future singapore is world-renowned for its urban planning while it is enjoying the success of the good planning of the past It finds itself in the middle of an important shift to be prepared for the environment of the future. To help us navigate the challenges and opportunities, we are joined by Dr. Wu Junji. Dr. Wu is a senior research fellow at the Institute of Policy Studies, Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, where he heads the Governance and Economy Department. His work focuses on urban policy, economic development, and crisis management in Asia. Why is urban planning important for Singapore?
1: Well, urban planning is important for Singapore, really for two major reasons. The first one is space. As we know, Singapore is a very small place with very limited land, and we have a lot of needs for this land. We need land for housing, land for transport, land for defence. So urban planning involves trying to maximise the land that we have and to use it in an optimal way. So urban planning is important. Effective urban planning allows us to sort of maximise the use of what little land we have. Now, the second reason that urban planning is important has a lot to do with climate change. Now, if we go back to 30 years ago, when we first built Singapore, it was quite straightforward. You built a city, you built housing, we built transport. But now, with climate change, we've experienced adverse weather events, we had flooding. We have also very high temperatures, as many of you would realize if you just step out of your offices. So, urban planning also involves trying to build infrastructure that can handle all these changes in the weather whether it's the wind, excessive levels of rain. And urban planning is increasingly focused on what we call the urban heat island effect. That means that in a city, the more you build up a city, the warmer it gets, it retains heat. So good urban planning allows us to filter, to push wind through a city and to reduce that heat.
0: How many different disciplines fall under the umbrella of urban planning? You know, what different systems do you refer to when you say urban planning?
1: Well, urban planning in itself is really a multidisciplinary approach, and it draws very heavily from the social sciences and to a certain extent the natural sciences as well. An important component of urban planning will be urban economics. So, economics is very important to urban planners. We are planning a city that is vibrant, that is viable, that provides jobs and services. So the way that we price the land, the way that we parcel out and sell the land is important. So economics is important. But cities are not just numbers and and money, it's also people. We tap on the work of sociologists, psychologists, behavioral scientists. We want to understand how people use the city, how they move around in the city, and how they perceive of the city. So to give you an example, when we plan for some of our public spaces, like our parks, we do conduct surveys, interviews, and that requires the work of people who are trained in sociology and geography. That allows us to get a sense of what people want from their parks. So the social sciences are very important, but so are the natural sciences. Before we even begin to build anything, we get geographers to look at the lay of the land. What is the land? What is the foundations of the land? How far can we dig? How far can we drill our foundations? What can we do that? We look at the climate, the elevation, the weather. And finally, architecture is a big component of urban planning. Architects come in to design the suitable buildings for our climate, for the space. In a nutshell, urban planning is multidisciplinary. It draws from a wide range of disciplines.
0: What are the largest challenges and opportunities facing urban policy and planning in Singapore right now?
1: The biggest challenge we face, we continue to face, is that high demand for space amidst our land constraints. It is a happy problem. Lots of businesses want to come into Singapore. Lots of people want to live here. But we do have limited land, and we need to be very careful about how we plan. For many years, we have been building up, we have been building high rise buildings, densifying our city, but we want to make sure that it is comfortable. So it is a balance between densification and making sure that there is urban comfort, geothermal comfort, that people can live in, relative comfort, can commute to work, get home without being caught in a traffic jam or you know, huge, very crowded public infrastructure. So I think that balance between livability, density, is a very important challenge. But here in lies an opportunity. We know that when cities become a little bit more dense, there is a certain extent of efficiency involved. Now, you compare that to the urban sprawl you see in other places like California. In an urban sprawl, you need to drive to get everywhere. And that is, well, not sustainable. So in a city that is well-designed, you get to where you need to go by public transport. And in the way that we have planned with mixed-use developments in Singapore, if you need groceries, you could go downstairs on, on the next block. So that allows for a lot of walkability. So I would say that the challenges are great. But so are the opportunities to plan in a way that allows more people to live their lives in a more efficient and compact way.
0: How would you describe Singapore right now on the trajectory of urban planning?
1: When Singapore first started, we were really focused on building public infrastructure. We built roads, we built housing, we built public transport, and as the economy grew, we densified it intensively. We built up the city. We started building high-rise buildings, and that took place across the 70s, the 80s, and 90s. But somewhere in the 2000s, we started realizing two things. One. Many of our businesses were digitalizing, so we needed to focus on the digital infrastructure, high-speed internet, sensor technology, whatever it takes for businesses and the government to function using technology. We also realized that the environment is well, degrading rapidly across the world. Singapore is not the only city that faces this, but we started realizing that we need to do something about urban heat, about climate change, about carbon emissions, So where we are right now is that big shift towards greater sustainability. Now, this has always been somewhat in our DNA. We started as a garden city, city in the garden. Now we're talking about being a city in nature. And you go out to the city now, you see buildings with a lot of greenery on the walls, on the windows, and we call it urban greenery. So we are trying to move towards an urban planning process that is sustainable, that is biophilic. We want it to be in touch with nature to have nature embedded across the city. Now, as you imagine, this requires a lot of planning, resource intensive,
0: and this is where we are in Singapore
1: in in our process of urban planning right now.
0: How can urban policy and planning improve social and health outcomes?
1: Urban planning has been very strongly connected to public health, and this is something that has gone on for a while. For many urban planners, it was a bit of a surprise when we discovered that when you plan a city that is more compact, more dense, when people had to walk a bit more, we realized that public health outcomes were achieved. When people walked more, they drove less, they were healthier. They, they got in their exercise on a daily basis. So having that helped a lot. And secondly, in a well-planned city, when we are able to reduce cars and, and patrol vehicles, we do reduce air pollution in the city. That, of course, depends on a sustainable and green public transport system. So in terms of public health, good urban planning can allow people to, to be more mobile, to walk around, to live in a space that is cleaner now in terms of social outcomes that is a little bit trickier in singapore we have been trying to build all these mixed-use developments now the idea is that we could let people work live and play within the same area you could go to work and you could come home from work within the same district and we could design the city in a way that will foster greater interaction among residents so when that interaction happens again this has something to do with walkability about the way that the public spaces are designed, whether they're comfortable, spaces where people could sit and rest. So that allows for more social interaction and that builds the social fabric of the city.
0: Now, if I'm not wrong, one part of this is the government's plan right now to look at last mile connectivity. And does that include the covered walkways that have been extended and also widening the pedestrian paths? Is that all part of the same sort of thinking that you're describing?
1: Yes, well, last mile connectivity is a huge aspect of our urban planning right now. We realize that if we want the citizens to, to rely on public transport, we need to find a way to connect their homes to that last node of public transport. It's not good enough to get off MRT and you have to walk for a significant distance to get home. So having covered walkways sort of shields people from the elements, from the heat and the rain. As you know, in Singapore, our climate is one of the biggest impediments to walkability. People, honestly, people want to walk, but you know, when you're walking back home or to work and you're drenched in sweat, clothes are wet, so it's not pleasant. So we want to shield them a little bit from the heat. Having underground connections as well, MRT stations that have many exits that are connected underground, but having dedicated lanes for bicycles, for PMDs, having wider walkways, that helps to make the whole experience of walking a lot more pleasant and sort of reduces the conflicts between users of the walkways.
0: Are you aware of other cities that are making this much of an effort right now to make things so much more comfortable and accessible for like last mile connectivity?
1: Well, there are other cities that have done similar work, and we do take our cues from many places across the world. For example, cycling is huge in the Netherlands and also in Copenhagen and as well as in London, and when you talk about Melbourne, they do have dedicated cycling lanes. But the biggest difference between Singapore and all these other places is that we have to deal with our climate. It's no stretch of the imagination that cycling is a lot more pleasant in the Netherlands or Denmark, where the climate is not as humid and hot. But here, we have to take the extra steps, the extra effort to sort of reduce the urban heat for people who want to cycle, who want to walk, and certainly the pace at which we're building our infrastructure Our last mile connectivity is a lot faster than many other places across the world. There is a greater sense of urgency here today that we need to get this sorted out. And we need to make Singapore car-like. And to do that, we need that last mile connectivity. So we've done it very rapidly over the past 10 years or so. And it seems that we are moving very quickly
0: going forward. What kind of advice do you have for citizens who want to play more of a part in Singapore's urban planning journey?
1: Well, for citizens who are interested in urban planning in Singapore, there are many, many avenues to enter this space. For one, the Urban Redevelopment Authority, the URA, which is our planning agency, they do have public consultations, they publish these papers, they reach out to the public. So it is possible to sign on to a focus group or some kind of a public engagement exercise with the URA. And what you get is that you get to spend time with our urban planners and you get to throw about ideas with other citizens. And the planners, What they do benefit from this is that they get ideas from the citizens. So some of these ideas do materialize into real urban outcomes. Now, at a smaller scale, as citizens, we do have a role to play in in our urban environment. And as many of you know, during COVID, when we had the pandemic, there were citizens who placed sanitizing liquids, who placed face masks in the lift lobbies, in places where other neighbors could get access to. Now, to me, that is a form of urban intervention. You are intervening in your urban environment to improve the lives of your neighbours. So that is very much part of the planning process as well. Our urban planners plan to a certain extent. And when we live in a space, when we use that space, we find a way to co-plan with our planners. We make that space, we take ownership of it, and we do things that enhance that space.
0: What are some factors shaping the future of urban planning in Singapore? And what do you think the biggest challenges are on the horizon as you see it right now?
1: When we talk about Singapore's urban planning challenges in the future, I think the biggest looming threat to us is climate change. As the climate continues to be less predictable, things get hotter, the weather gets hotter, rains get heavier, the sea levels rise, we will need to expend a lot of resources to strengthen our shorelines, to strengthen our buildings, to expand our sewage system so that we can deal with all these sudden changes in the weather. So that is a big challenge. But there are other challenges as well. Singapore, being a small place, we can't avoid being a highly dense city. So when we face any crisis, whether it is a pandemic or even a terrorist attack, we are going to have to find ways to strengthen our city, strengthen our infrastructure, so that people are sort of protected from this crisis, even if they hit us. So I think going forward, the biggest challenge we have is that uncertainty. The uncertainty that comes about from a climate That we no longer have any sense of predictability about and the uncertainty that comes from crisis or black swan events that we simply cannot predict
0: could you maybe give us a little bit more examples and any things that have been done that are already showing that they are effective and then what are the next big things that have to be done beyond that
1: for singapore we have been trying to deal with that rising sea level so we have strengthened our shorelines we have built polders. And that is part of the solution. The other part of it is finding ways to pay for these infrastructure. So we have come up with green bonds. The government has been trying to issue bonds that that invest in this long-term infrastructure. So there is a broad system put in place. And going forward, as the sea levels continue to rise, we may have to contemplate working or living with water. Some parts of Singapore, we may have to have more rivers, more riverways and canals, or perhaps transport on waterways. So that is something that, well, perhaps 10 years ago, we may not have found it conceivable. But today, it is a reality that we may need to contend with. And with other challenges such as a potential pandemic, we have learned important lessons from COVID-19. So during COVID, we converted many of our exhibition halls into makeshift hospitals, healthcare facilities. So going forward, the URA is going to plan for what we call gray spaces, Spaces can be converted into other uses, so a convention hall, a hotel, can be converted into a health facility at a drop of a hat. So that is something that we are planning to do, and moving forward with our limited space, we do need to think about how we can make our spaces adaptable. Today, this could be a park, or a convention center, or a hotel. Tomorrow, it could be a school, it could be a a disaster relief center, it could be a hospital. So we need to expand our imagination of what different parts of the city look like and what they serve, what purposes they serve. So one infrastructure, one building may need to serve multiple purposes. And that, I think, is something that we need to contemplate and move towards.
0: Wow, that's really interesting, the gray spaces. Is there anything on the drawing board that might actually be built soon that meets this kind of requirement?
1: I think the biggest thing that they've been talking about would be many of these mice or event spaces that will will have to be converted into a healthcare facility during a pandemic or into some kind of a relief shelter during a natural disaster. So designing the doorways, the size of the space, air conditioning, access to water, to data, to electricity. You need all this infrastructure. Imagine if I was converting a convention hall into a hospital. I need the electricity to run out my x-ray machines the broadband data to to send that data back to the hospitals and i need the sewage system to get rid of medical waste so we are expanding the infrastructure of many of these buildings that may already be in place
0: well thank you dr wu for sharing all that with us that was really interesting thank you for
1: having me as always wonderful to share my thoughts on these topics
0: if you'd like to subscribe to the globalization newsletter Look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global Is Asian.